in the next uh, 60 minutes here on Newsnight. Special prosecutor wants his office included as a member on the Judicial Council as it makes a strong case for the OSP to be entrenched in the Constitution, similar to the Attorney General's office. Why don't we assure the flow of resources to the office? And then also I'm thinking, why can't we include the OSP in the membership of the Judicial Council, for instance? Tonight, more questions arise over Bank of Ghana's admission that Cocoa Board hasn't paid investors their cocoa bills. From the beginning, the, originally they should not even have been sold cocoa bills. And therefore, we ensured that all individuals were paid. So I, I was surprised to hear that there are a few out there still that were not sorted out. And we will look at it. We'll hear from the Governor, Ines Addison, vowing to investigate the matter as some investors welcome the BOG's decision. We hope, because we have been told several times that, oh, they are looking into it, they are looking into it. So now it turns out that there is more to it than meets the eye. So we hope that with his busy schedule, he will have time to look at it. And later. The management has no other choice but to close down the basic school. If things continue like this, some other groups join in, and then the university grants were hot. So, so we appeal for a quick resolution to the various issues that the various groups have raised. Graduates will not get certificates. Basic pupils asked to stay at home while parents remain frustrated. That's the impact of the nationwide strike by three major labor unions in the tertiary space. We have students that they also attend the school. So it's like you can't say the fathers should be kind at home when the children should be in the school. So it is not our intention. It is because of government is not being responsible. Well, the striking lecturers and tertiary education workers are not backing down. They know that amount is supposed to be. Right. You know that it's defaulted and have to pay the percentage on us. So why the engagement? So I want to put it on record that this one, you don't need any negotiation. There's no negotiation on this matter. We are not at the table to negotiate. So government should do well and release the money for our former members. Then you get up to work. And in business, CD expected to remain stable in coming weeks as donor inflows impact market and Bank of Ghana increases support for coming. Because the labor unions organized labor led by the TUC came together last week and gave government one week to withdraw their letter to the ECG asking it to implement the 15% VAT on electricity consumption. Well, that ultimatum will end uh, in fact, ends tonight, has ended already because a close-up day that was given was 5 p.m. today and has ended. In the last few minutes, the finance ministry has issued a statement calling for calm. And I want to quickly uh, bring you the details of this particular uh, statement that uh, was uh, has been issued and signed by the Public Relations Unit at the ministry. And it says the Ministry of Finance has noted the, uh, the concerns of organized labor on the implementation of VAT on consumption of electricity by residential customers. Extensive dialogue will be held with organized labor and other key stakeholders in the coming weeks to ensure stakeholder buy-in. The ministry therefore appeals to organized labor and all stakeholders, including ECG and NETCO, to exercise restraints to facilitate a constructive dialogue towards a quick resolution of the AMPAS. Now, we, we note the progress the country is making in the implementation of the post-COVID-19 program uh, for economic growth, including 
posting higher-than-programmed growth targets, declining inflation, improvement in fiscal and external positions, a more stable exchange rate, and the declining monetary policy rates. The government hereby reiterates its commitment to working with all stakeholders in order to sustain these gains and engender microeconomic stability and inclusive growth. So as we speak tonight, uh, following the expiration of that ultimatum uh, just over an hour ago, uh, issued by TUC, uh, together with the organized labor, the finance ministry is asking for restraint as it opens dialogue with all concerned to get some resolution on the subject of the VAT, 15% VAT that the finance ministry has instructed the ECG to begin implementing. I want to bring in Angel Kabonu. He's a president of the National Association of Graduate Teachers. He's one uh, of the individuals, leaders of organized labor that converged last week at the TUC to issue that ultimatum. He joins us on the line right now. Mr. Kabonu, thanks for your time here on Newsnight. Uh, your reaction to the statement from the finance ministry? Well, I'm, I am confused because the finance ministry is also asking ECG and then put to also exercise restraint because it was a clear directive by way of writing a letter to these organizations to implement the VAT on the electricity bill. So, and our demand was that the government write these agencies to suspend the application of the VAT on charges for their services. So that letter, we haven't seen a copy of that letter withdrawing the initial directive given to these agencies. So the call for all of us, including those you have directed to exercise restraints, confuses some of us. I don't understand it. You get the sense that within Netco and ECG itself, there is disquiet about this because we've heard from the ECG MD who was on my show and it was very clear that it was going to be, he used the word, a nightmare to attempt to implement this. That gives you a sense that if they are the very top of the organization, the MD says it's going to be a nightmare, it's going to be very, very difficult to do this. This definitely may appear to have trickled down and it's possibly informing the finance ministry's decision to also direct an appeal to workers of ECG and Netco to calm down because he has agitated us yourself. And also remember that ECG workers are also part of organized labor. Yes, yes the workers are part of organized labor, but the organization is not part of organized labor. The chief executive of ECG takes directly from his appointing of authority and that appointing authority is the president now the difficulties that they are having in applying the charges does not effectively obviate the directive given to them to to to, to charge so for example if by march they are able to get their act together and the ministry fails to withdraw the letter it means that they can take retrospective charges and that is easy because the records are there so that does not address the concern of organized labor the concern of organized labor is that the principle of charging vat on the electricity bill is inimical to our survival 
as consumers of social services such as electricity. And that we are calling on government to withdraw it without condition. That is what the, the call we made. Specifically, though, to the appeal to you to exercise restraint, will you? Because the ultimatum you gave expired at 5 p.m.? And the you ultimatum told expires tomorrow, 5 p.m. Oh, tomorrow instead, okay. Uh, tomorrow is 31st. Tomorrow is 31st, okay, fine. Yes. And you were very clear when I spoke to you last week that if it's not withdrawn, you will call a strike. Um, yes, that, that was an announcement made by the Secretary General of the TNC that we all supported. So will you excite that restraint and hold off? Well, as I speak to you, there has not been any call for a meeting by organized labor to change our stance. So until such a time that there is a call by organized labor to change our stance, the position that we announced last week holds. You asked for withdrawal of the initial letter. Have you been? Yes, have you received any information if, on that? If we and the agencies themselves are talking about difficulties, and organized labor is also having problems with the principle, and you, the government yourself, is calling on ECG and everybody to exercise restraint, then you could have as well written a letter to them to withdraw the initial letter that you sent that they could apply charges. And when we see that letter, this matter death. I'm wondering if you've received any communication from the finance ministry that this has happened, this withdrawal. No. In fact, even this issue of restraint, I'm hearing it from you on your network right now. So you've had no contact whatsoever with, with government officials on this, the finance ministry in particular? Not that I am aware of. You've not been called to come and dialogue? Absolutely not. So when you hear in this statement that just been issued that they're going to start a comprehensive dialogue, a constructive dialogue with you, what do you say to you them? You see, when we talk about dialogue, it means we are going to negotiate something in the light of what was given to the ECG and the agencies to charge. But the, we are against the principle in totality. So I don't even know what we are going to dialogue. Are we going to dialogue to reduce the percentage or we are going to dialogue to change the, uh, the, the name of the tax. Uh, I don't know. You see, when you listen to the statement read by the Secretary General, the workers are saying that we have been overburdened with numerous taxes, that it's putting so much pressure on us and rendering whatever salary increase made by government and not null and void. That was what, that was the principle under which we came on this issue that the taxes have become so much, and we, the people of this country, uh, I mean, by the, in this way, workers are suffocated. So, bottom line, this restraint that you've been asked to exercise won't happen by close of day tomorrow unless you get clear word that th that initial letter has been withdrawn. Yes. As I said, organized labor's position is not changed from the position we espoused last week. And as I spoke to you, no change has been di uh, directed and that the initial position we held to hold today. 
Thank you very much. And that is uh, Angel Kabonu, uh, who has been speaking to us about that ultimatum they issued last week. He says it expires tomorrow, rather. That is a close update tomorrow, 5 p.m. And they've told the government that if they do not withdraw, specifically the finance ministry, withdraw the letter to ECG and NETCO to implement the 15% tax on electricity consumed, that is VAT, electricity consumed, they will proceed on an industrial action. I want to hear from you. You've just heard his position uh, following this press release that has just been released by the Finance Ministry, 055 And you know what happens when workers withdraw their services. We're feeling that right now with the withdrawal of services by uh, tertiary education workers, including teachers, because it's been two weeks now since the uh, Senior Staff Association of Public Universities declared a nationwide industrial action over their tier two pension payments and other allowances. It is there we go next, because since that action was declared, other groupings, including the Tertiary Education Workers Union, TEU, the Ghana Association of University Administrators, have all joined over similar concerns. Now, this joint action is now beginning to take a toll. Today, pupils and parents of the affected institutions have begun expressing frustration following the total shutdown of the University of Ghana Basic and the Kwame Nkrumah University Basic Schools. First, my colleague Fred Kwesi Kwating has been to the University of Ghana Basic School. Here is what he found. It's a normal school day where pupils are expected to be in the classroom for teaching and learning to take place. But the University of Ghana Basic School, the campus, is virtually empty. This is because of the industrial action by the Senior Staff Association of Ghana. The pupils have been caught in the crossfire between government and the Senior Staff Association of Ghana, who are demanding for government to better their conditions of service. We are here on campus, specifically at the University of Ghana Basic School, to assess the impact of this industrial action on academic work at the Basic School. I have with me here the Vice Chairman of Teo, UG Campus, to tell us why this strike action is impacting activities on the basic school. Sir, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Why is your strike action impacting the University of Ghana basic school? As you can see, the place is empty. And why is affecting basic school? Because it, under, in the university here, we have teachers who belong to the various unions. We have teachers who belong to Teo. We have teachers who belong to senior administration. We have teachers who belong to FUSA. That's the Federation University of University. Situations. So these are categories of staffs and teachers who belong to the various unions. How many of the staff at the basic school belong to these unions? I can say about, we have about almost um, 50, I mean 40 of teachers. Yeah, yeah because compared to the KG, the primary and the, the GHS, the cleaners and the gardeners and the security men. And but I can see a pocket of students working on campus in uniform. Who are they and why are they there if you are saying the basic school has been closed down? The people that you are seeing around are people that they are they form trees. A little dispensation has been granted to them because of, because of their peculiar problem they find themselves. So actually, those people that you see around, they are the form three students. For how long has the school been closed down? The, the school has been closed down for almost two weeks now. How are students and parents reacting to this strike action? Aren't you putting them in a very difficult position? Really, you can say that, but you see, we are also parents. We also have to, our children in the school. We are people, people shouldn't think that we are staffs. We are staff that we don't care about those things. We have children that they also attend the school. So it's like you can't say the fathers should be crying at home when the children should be in the school. So it is not our intention. It is because of government is not being responsible. 
to the issue concerning the universities. That is, that, is, that is what has brought about all this. But as I said, we are hoping by Thursday, when we meet government, we hope that there should be a makeable solution to this. Then quickly, we'll, we'll resume work. That is the vice chairman of TEU, University of Ghana campus, who has been interacting with me. So that is what is happening on campus. Well, that's the situation at the University of Ghana. It's same at the Kwame Nkrumah University Basic School, where the school remains shut down. Listen to my colleague, Nana Bwachi Yadom. He's been there. It's been three weeks since the Teachers and Educational Workers Union of the Trades Union Congress, the Senior Staff Association and the Ghana Association of University Administrators laid down their tools of a poor working conditions. The failure of the government to reach an amicable settlement with the striking workers appears to have compounded the situation as the industrial action takes a toll on activities on campus. Authorities at KNUST announced the indefinite closure of the university's busy school. Painful as it is, um, the management has no other choice but to close down the basic school. We know it's going to have effect on parents uh, because some of them are having to go to work. Uh, some have to attend to other businesses, uh, but they have to be home, which means that they have to look for other alternatives to, to take care of their kids at home. It has complicated. There's already a, a already precarious situation in the university when uh, the senior staff declare strike. Authorities fear the industrial action, if not addressed, could affect academic work on campus. Dr. Norris Bequeen again. If we are not careful, if, if things continue like this, if you are not careful, what is going to happen is that nobody knows, but you are going to hear maybe uh, some other groups joining, and then the university grinds were hot. So, so we, 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 we appeal for a quick resolution to the various issues that the various groups have raised so that, we, so that it doesn't affect the academic calendar. Meanwhile, parents and their wards continue to reel the closure of the school. Uh, personally, I have a, uh, someone who assists them in the house. So uh, the only thing is to help beef up with the uh, home teaching uh, staff so that the, the kids can be doing it something. Government must conclude its negotiations with the striking union. My children have to join me to make sales today because the school has been closed down. For Joy News, Nana Bwachidankwayadom, Kumasi. Well, the University of Cape Coast uh, issuing of certificates have now been put on hold. We cited a notice that has now been uh, pasted across campus and it says it is announced for the information of the university community and the general public that in view of the pending strike by sections of university staff, certain services have been disrupted. Consequently, issuing of certificates have been suspended until further notice. Any inconveniences caused is deeply regretted. As a notice on the campus of the University of Cape Coast, I want to bring in now the national chairman of the university staff, uh, University Senior Staff Association, Isaac Donko. Mr. Donko, thanks for your time here on Newsnight. Thank you for having me. What's the update on the attempt to resolve the issue? Oh, for now, there's no update. Currently, we are still on site. Uh, we are to meet government team on Monday, uh, on Thursday coming at Ministry of Finance. So that's the latest update. For now, our members are at home. Everybody is resting. We are expecting government to release our tier two 
with the interest, yeah, very soon. Then you go back to work. You started this uh, industrial action and the two fundamental concerns you shared. One was the uh, overtime allowances. Has that been resolved? Yes, the overtime allowance has been resolved. The letter that was written by GTEC to suspend or to cancel our overtime allowance, another letter has come to suspend that letter. So at the moment, overtime allowance has been restored on all campuses. That's so the overtime allowance, you don't have any problem with the overtime allowance for now. So the demand now is pay our tier two pensions and pay with interest. Yes, the pension, our tier two pension, and they should pay and pay with penalty three percent, three percent penalty per month. Have you received any response from the authorities on this? Uh, the authority has written to us that they want to meet us on Thursday. Hopeful that there will be a resolution then. We hope and pray that when we get there, the money will be ready because we are expecting nothing less than the money and eight penalties. Because this one, we don't need to negotiate with anybody. You've deducted the money from our salary, and we are expecting you to remit our farm managers. Anything apart from giving the money to the farm managers, uh, we will never entertain it. In the meantime, though, as you've heard, schools have now been shut down as a result of this. Kids are home. Come again. In the meantime, as we've just heard, schools have been shut down. Kids are home. What would it take to resolve this at least whilst you go into the meeting on Thursday? You're holding a gun to the head whilst, you know, the negotiations are happening. Isn't that fair labor practice to call off the strike at least while you negotiate? Yeah, if we're talking about fairness, then the same question should go to government. The pension law, the pensions are said that did that 5% from each worker's salary. That one is compliant with that. The same act will say that after deduction, give the money to the fund managers for them to invest, trade their money so that workers, when they are retiring, they can go home with a very nice package as their pension lump sum. This one, you deduct the money, then you keep it. Why are you keeping the money? Can you invest the money on our behalf? Are you our fund manager? So there's no fairness on the part of the government. So what do you expect us to do? Uh, this is some, some people's pension. Mind you, some people are, have been on pension for the past three years, and they are yet to receive their full lump sum. And those people are also crying. Those people are also dying. They can't even attend hospitals. Those people are also having their children in basic school and universities. They're supposed to pay school fees. They're supposed to uh, pay accommodation, buy books, and other related items. So why do they get money to do those things? So for fairness, my brother, please, don't let us talk about fairness. We've been fair, we've been respecting a lot of the land for quite too long. Mr. Donko, thank you very much. And that is one raging controversy. Uh, now it has resulted in school children sitting at home, schools shut down as we speak. That there was the national chairman of the University Senior Staff Association. He says there's a meeting on Thursday. Uh, we'll keep a close eye on that and brief you as and when we get the latest on that story. Parents obviously are looking forward to what will happen on that day so they can plan their lives and the lives of their children. So listening to News Night on Joy 99.7 FM, there are more questions emerging tonight uh, after the Bank of Ghana governor admitted that uh, uh, the 
He's actually surprised that Cocoa Board has failed to pay Cocoa Bills of those who invested in buying Cocoa Bills. Now, the admission has triggered additional questions around the central bank's oversight responsibilities, especially in light of the finance minister, Kano Friata's announcement of the establishment of the desk to monitor Cocoa sector activities. Um, Cocoa Board, for example, uh, we have a turnaround plan, as you know, we had to restructure uh, maybe 15 billion of the uh, cocoa bills in which we did seven point something and the uh, central bank also did uh, around that uh, amount um, and as i mentioned earlier both the uh, governor of the central bank and the minister for finance myself will now be on the board uh, we also uh, have um, set up a, a desk or setting up a desk um, at the Ministry of Finance that will really interact with the financing division of Cocoa Board um, to make sure that the issues of fertilizer, cocoa roads, um, overheads, you know, are all brought um, into an ambit um, of, um, of discipline. Well, as you wait the implementation of this particular initiative and policy intervention by the finance ministry, we're now beginning to see that questions are beginning to emerge following the pronouncements that we had from the Bank of Ghana governor yesterday. Uh, among those grappling with the uncertainty over whether or not their cocoa bills will be paid, and they have actually not received any payment uh, since the uh, the exchange happened in terms of the exchanging of the cocoa bills uh, for longer-term bonds. Mr. and Mrs. Echikwam, who after 35 years of service find themselves financially strained and unable to cover their children's university expenses. Surprisingly, the Bank of Ghana's uh, government has had an express shock over the non-payment of the bills, and he says he will look into it. thought that all the individual holders of cocoa bills have been sorted out, actually. So I was surprised to hear about the noise that there are individual holders of cocoa bills that who opted not to participate. I mean, individual holders were really not part of the restructuring of the cocoa bills. So that issue has to be resolved. I don't think that there is any big debate about that. We said that right from the beginning that originally they should not even have been sold cocoa bills. And therefore we ensured that all individuals were paid. So I was surprised to hear that there are a few out there still that were not sorted out. And we will look at it. Well, uh, the qualms have been responding to this as they're one of many individuals affected by CocoaBot's uh, inability to pay the bills. Listen to his reaction to what we had there from the governor. Well, uh, we hope because we have been told several times that, oh, they are looking into it, they are looking into it. So now it turns out that there is more to it than meets the eye. So we hope that with his busy schedule, he will have time to look at it. And then whatever needs to be done must be done. But the thing is, the urgency of the times, we need to have this thing resolved immediately. It's been tough, and that's all I can say. It's been tough. Uh, how we manage is, is uh, <laughs> it's just, it's been tough. You know, when you are used to getting a, a salary, and then all of a sudden it's not coming you know you really have to struggle uh, to keep things going so it's been tough mm, that's all i can say like he went on retirement two years ago and that was around the time that we invested so um we are also 
we're hoping that we'll, get, we'll just put this thing in the cocoa bills investments in for just six months and withdraw and do some business with it you know so as at the time we invested the, the cd was to the dollar was you know six cds now it's it's 12 cities so it's sitting there and it's devaluing and the you know just even anxious about your investment devaluing and the fact that you are not even getting anything at all not principal not even interest and nothing is very worrying but uh yeah. we are happy this this news comes you know uh it makes us happy that at least something will be done so that we'll get our investment back uh, we'll hear from Professor Goffrey Bopping shortly on the admission by the central bank when they should have uh, supervisory jurisdiction over what Cocoa Board does in the area of the Cocoa Bills. Uh, George Affey joins me with more uh, from the world of business. And George, this is a subject that uh, yourself and your team, you've been following yeah, very, very yeah, closely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you posed that question. Yeah, no, it was done by my other by other colleague. colleague. Yeah. Um, but of course, as we know, you again reported last year yeah. when the finance ministry made the point, point. that we're going to reactivate this mm. intervention, mm. where not only himself but the central bank will have a seat mm. uh, on the cocoa board board. Yeah. Professor Bokwid and Co. find it pretty strange yeah. that the central bank governor did not know that mm. for months cocoa board has failed to pay. Uh, coupons and principles to those who bought and even if you go back to the central bank's position insisting that the commercial banks were not supposed to have sold these bonds to individuals as well so there are another question there was how come these banks went behind the directive of the bank of ghana and what is going to happen or what happened to these banks that actually uh flouted the bank of ghana's directive when it comes to the sale or seal of cocoa bills to individuals when they were not supposed to do it. So, a very interesting question is coming out. Let's see how things unfold in the coming days with respect to the governor's assurance that they are going to work to resolve this issue. What else do you have in the headlines? Well, events coming up, CD expected to remain stable in coming weeks as donor inflows impact market and Bank of Ghana increases support for commercial banks. And financial economist Professor Lord Mensah fears the Governor or Ghana will be, could be forced to undertake another debt restructuring following the IMF's classification of Ghana as still in debt distress. The business news on Newsnight is brought to you by MTN Business. Welcome to the new world of business. Kingdom Books and Stationery, Syntax Tanks and Pepsodent, Charcoal and Herbal. You're welcome back to Business on Newsline. Now, the Ghana cities are expected to remain relatively stable in the coming weeks as donor inflows impact market and Bank of Ghana increases support for commercial banks. There is more in this report. The forecast by the bank treasurers is coming at a time that the city has witnessed some blips against the US dollar over the past week on the interbank market. However, there has been some signs of improvement since Monday. This, the bank treasurer's that joint business has engaged, maintained that it's due to the market being impacted positively by the recent inflows from the IMF. According to the Bank of Ghana, the development has helped increase its international reserves. The bank puts it at more than $6 billion for the month of January. The Bank of Ghana has also increased support for the market and other interventions that will help firmly stabilize the city. The Ghana city usually comes under some pressure in the first quarter of the year. This is due to firms trying to import tourist stock, 
while others are trying to seek dollars to settle some imports for the Christmas season. This often results in some serious depreciation of the Ghana city. Well, the month is almost over and we are waiting to see how things will pan out for the next two months. The Ghana city, for instance, depreciated by more than 20% in January last year. And that is a business tax report. In a related development, the Bank of Ghana has sold more than $20 million to oil marketing companies, that is, the bulk oil distributors, to aid or under the dollar auction program. Now, this is to aid in the importation of petroleum products by these bulk oil distributors. Now, this is more of an assurance to these oil importers that the central bank will provide them with the required dollars when needed to support their imports. The central bank is also promising to sell a dollar at a rate of 12 Ghana cities, 39 pesos. Now, Finance Minister Ken Ofriata has justified the recent tax measures introduced. The president last month signed into law seven taxes that are among them as the VAT on non-life insurance products and VAT on electricity. The Finance Minister argued that there is a need for some common ground when it comes to raising the required revenue to finance expenditure. Supremacy of inflation. Um, as we, we move forward, the central bank clear on moving us towards um, eight plus or minus two target fifteen, and we'll stick to it. Been having to take uh, very difficult decisions, bold decisions, but nonetheless um, stick to it. Mm. And I think we are all the evidence is clear mm. uh, for all of us. So for me, um, we can't uh, be timid about the way forward. Taxes are difficult for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what helps with the mm-hmm. stability. And I think once we begin to speak one language, the resilience is mm-hmm. clear, uh, we should be able to do it. Finance Minister Ken Ofoyata. Now, Bank of Ghana Governor Dr. Ernest Addison has been given reasons why government has been silent on the terms for the bilateral debts and euro bondholders negotiations. Now, government earlier this month reached a deal with the bilateral creditors on terms to restructure their debts, and this also started engagement with commercial creditors and euro bondholders. However, the finance ministry has been silent on the 10th for to reach a deal with these creditors. Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, says details will be announced soon. We are now going to begin the negotiations with the bondholders. There are issues of comparability of treatment and all of that. So I'm sure at the appropriate time when the negotiations with the bondholders have advanced, I think you would have the opportunity to see the terms of the agreement that was reached by the OCC. Bank of Ghana Governor Dr. Ernest Addison. Now, financial economist Professor Lord Mensah is worried that government could be forced to undertake another debt restructuring. It's coming after the IMF and this staff report classified Ghana as a debt distressed country. Now, this is despite making some significant progress on restructuring of its domestic debt, as it also work to deal with that of the external creditors as well. Professor Lord Mensah tells Joy Business government may be pushed hard on the Eurobond debt negotiations and bilateral creditors to make some progress in the space. Break down our external debt. You get to know that the commercial debt carries the bigger chunk of the entire external debt. So if you have negotiated 4.3% of your external debt, whilst you still have about 40, I mean 2%, you know, uh, to be negotiated with, which at the end of the day, 
we, we see more difficulty because of the, the stature of the well, commercial bonds, which the euro bond carries larger part of it. I mean, it is something that everybody will say we're not out of the woods yet. IMF, I will say that they've been a bit diplomatic with us because if you want a country to get in that sustainable path, before you start releasing funds to them, I don't think Ghana has done much in terms of um, debt sustainability. The financial economist Professor Lord Mensah to the stock market. If he had invested on the Ghana Stock Exchange from the beginning of this month, you might have made more than 1% to 10. Now, this is striking an average on investment made so far on the local bears. And that's all for business on Newsnight. Back to you, Evans. And Joe, thank you very, very much. I want to share with the rest of the world a few of your messages on our WhatsApp console now. Nana on the Spinktest Road says the corruption figures are clear. Whatever the CSOs said doesn't change the figures. Even lay citizens are aware of the extent of corruption under the current government. Whatever they claimed to have put in place hasn't worked. William Ngomwa says I think everybody, including the media and members of the various security services, who are workers who joined the workers in a strike as they will also feel the pinch of this wickedness he says and he's referring to the 15 percent vat on electricity which is now a subject of some controversy nanakwa mabwating says government should simply withdraw and he uses a pretty strong word there the tax on electricity we are not going to pay and i urge the labor unions to be firm in their demand, he says. And uh, this one from Comrade Issa in Boko. I strongly support the Labour Union's decision to embark on the strike. Uh, he says if the uh, Kufado Baumia government refused to withdraw the killer 15% VAT on electricity. A few of your uh, comments there on our WhatsApp console. Well, tonight, the special prosecutor, Kisei Jabeng, is proposing the inclusion of his office on the Judicial Council, among a raft of suggestions he believes will strengthen his outfit's uh, fight against corruption. Now, speaking at the roundtable discussion on corruption organized by the Center for Democratic Development, he suggested that aside from the state expanding the scope of his powers, his office must be entrenched in the Constitution, similar to the Attorney General's office. What can be done to strengthen the OSP? Okay, why don't we start by entrenching it why don't we write it into the constitution why don't we enlarge its powers why don't we insulate it from political marginalization why don't we insulate it from reprisals why don't we assure the flow of resources to the office and then also i'm thinking why can't we include the osp in the membership of the judicial council for instance is will let it sit firmly, in our estimation. He also called on the public to protect his office against individuals seeking to dismantle the six-year-old entity. Not infrequently, we hear calls, a lot of the time, from very high places, that the OSP should be scrapped, and that it serves no useful purpose. On another score, there have been and there are attempts to discredit the office and its principal officers unfairly and unjustly, alongside formidable resistance and pushback. A 
careful examination of the reasons for the cause to do away with the OSB suggests that they are made without reference to the actual performance of the office in its six years of existence, and that the cause are born mainly of the teething challenges confronting the establishment of the office. Yet it bears reflecting that the creation and establishment of every institution come with the like circumstances of the pangs of childbirth and the raw emotion and anxiety of raising a child. These are natural. And the ordinary circumstances of mankind dictate that we must dutifully care for and nurture this six-year-old child, which is the OSP, and not kill it. With forbearance, let us mark her growth and development. Condemnation at this stage is wholly unwholesome. It again. The situation in Ghana now, from our scorecard, is this. We must fight corruption, but we must not fight it. Let's bring in Inusa Fuseni. He is former member of parliament for Tamale Central. He is also uh, one who was very, very active in the crafting of the OSB Act. He was a former ranking on the Constitutional, Legal and Parliamentary Affairs Committee that worked on the Act itself and joins us right now. Mr. Fuseni, thanks for your time here on Newsnight. Let's start off with the first suggestion um, that the special prosecutor makes. He wants the office represented on the Judicial Council. Uh, to what purpose? So what? that he can influence the judges? Well, it insulates him, he says. He says what? It insulates him. Just Why is it really the judges are insulated. He's insulated already from political interference. He's given financial independence. He doesn't need the Attorney General to... Uh, uh, to sign for the release of his monies. Uh, he has operational independence. He doesn't need to a fiat of the uh, Attorney General to initiate an action uh, dealing with investigations of corruption. Pay his mandate. Uh, we, don't, we don't think that there is any... I, I sitting from uh, afar and watching the special prosecutor, unless, of course, it's not telling us the whole story. Uh, but when we're crafting the... the legislation uh, we were mindful of the fact that you needed to insulate the office and we took steps uh, to do that in the law he also says the office must be entrenched in the constitution similar to what you have with the attorney general's office well you, you can't entrench that? all institutions in the constitution can you well but this is a special vehicle designed to yeah, do with one of the biggest the challenges we're facing in this country why not so the special vehicle came about as a result of the inability of the Attorney General and Minister of Justice to prosecute corruption and corruption-related offences. So we needed an Act of Parliament to be able to establish an office that will deal with the, the canker of corruption. Because we realized that the Article 88 vested pros, uh, in exclusive prosecutorial powers in the Attorney General. And the only way that we were going to establish an office uh, first one to uh, the Constitution was to establish an independent uh, or special prosecutor's office and insulate that office. We had to navigate a very, uh, I mean, rough road, tony road, I mean, narrow, uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, if you want, uh, edge to be able to establish that office. And we took steps to ensure that he didn't come under the uh, the influence, direction, uh, and control of the Attorney General. But, but he still draws his powers from the Attorney General. And 
God forbid, mm-hmm. if you have another president who comes in that doesn't believe in the concept of the OSP and he himself doesn't believe in the war against corruption, decides to withdraw that power, what happens? Well, he shares, he doesn't draw his power from the Attorney General. He shares some of the Attorney General's powers. He doesn't want to share. He wants to have his own constitutional provision that puts him in there. So we say that, well, demonstrate that you can work even in this uh, limited, narrow uh, uh, scope that you have been given. Demonstrate that. Demonstrate that if you are given further and better powers, you will be able to work. Hasn't he done that already? We don't see that. You don't see that in the corruption perception index, do you? The office has been in existence for four years. Before the MPP came into office, uh, everybody bemoaned the level of corruption. The corruption perception index was around 46%. The the, uh, office has been established six years now. Four years running. That is, within the six years, four years running, we are stagnated. And so what, what, what have we done? What has actually been the, the contribution of the Special Prosecutor's Office to the fight against corruption? Thank you very much, Inusa Fuseni. There, Inusa Fuseni is a former ranking on the Constitutional, Legal, and Parliamentary Affairs Committee. That committee that crafted the OSP Act, giving us his perspective on the raft of new measures that the OSP is proposing tonight, including a membership on the Judicial Council. Let's do sports now. Ms. Bao here with the details. Well, uh, the African Cup of Nations is uh, underway in round of 16, and uh, it's Mali versus Burkina Faso, which is currently underway. And Mali, as at the time coming to the studio, were leading by one, uh, two goals to one against Burkina Faso. And uh, just a few minutes to the end of the game, they're able to hold on. Then they'll be qualifying to the quarterfinals for the first time since 2013. And uh, we'll be facing host Ivy Coast, who surprisingly uh, defeated Senegal yesterday in the round of 16. So we are likely to see a Mali versus Ivy Coast in the quarterfinals over there. And later at 8 p.m. is a big one between Morocco and South Africa. Morocco themselves, big favorite coming to this tournament. And uh, we'll be hoping to get one over South Africa and advance to the quarterfinals. So um, if the Mali and Burkina Faso results remain 2-1, even this is what has happened, the team that came first in the 2021 edition has gone home, which is Senegal. The second place team has gone home, which is Egypt. The third place team, Cameroon, gone home. And the fourth place team, Burkina Faso, all gone home. So... Uh, this year's edition is proving to be an interesting one. Well, yesterday we reported that uh, Kujitua Blackwa did review some $8.5 million was budgeted for the AFCON. And a um, member of the Executive Council of the Ghana Football Association, uh, Mr. Nana Odro Safo, has been responding to Kujitua Blackwa, describing what he's been doing as cheap politics and insisting that it was even under the NDC that much more expensive budget was prepared for the AFCON. Until nobody goes into AFCON, for prize money. You're participating to win lorries. You're winning four times. You're winning eight times. You're winning seven times. That is the that is a priority. Okay. Okay. 
That's uh, Nano Drusa for there, uh, just uh, criticizing the work of uh, Kuchito Ablakwa over there. Well, that's what we have for you for sports. We wait to see if the Ministry of Youth and Sports will eventually disclose to the public the real amount of money that was spent uh, on the Black Stars and the other activities at the AFCON, despite the team existing the group stage. We are waiting for that. Evans. Well, thank you very much. And let's stay on the theme of corruption, shall we? Because today we also heard from the Executive Director of the Economic and Organized Crimes Office, Mame Yatewa Dankwa, And she's been complaining and admitting her own frustration with the lack of evidence to prosecute the many issues that come before her. Evidence gathering is one of the challenges that we face. You have a lot of people making wild allegations. But when it comes to supporting the allegation with evidence, you won't even hear from them again. But the point is that it's not about because you say something. And it is not about how many media houses are carrying on that allegation. It, has, it is about your ability to put credible evidence together that will be presented to a judge for prosecution. And remember, the judges are not listening to whatever that is being said in the social media. So when you have a case where the person has been tried, convicted in the court of public opinion, and at the end of the day, you are unable to gather the kind of evidence that will happen at the court, then the public will say that, no, the institution is either not working well or there's something wrong with it. I want to bring in lawyer Augustin Obor. He is criminal law practitioner, also a former prosecutor, joins us on the line right now. Uh, Mr. Obor, thanks for your time here on Newsnight. Why is it so difficult to fight corruption and win cases in court? Is it all down to the lack of evidence, as we just heard there from the Yoko boss? Hello, good evening. And good evening to your listeners. I can hardly hear you. Mine is very pink. Can you hear me? Now, it's better. Okay, I'm. I'm just curious. I mean, the OSP himself has been complaining recently, and then now we're hearing from the Yoko boss herself. It appears it's a, a challenge to successfully prosecute corruption cases in this country. You can count on your fingers how many successful corruption cases, uh, how many corruption cases have successfully been prosecuted. Why is it so difficult? Is it purely down to the lack of evidence? I do not believe so. The evidence is there, but it's about the incompetence of the people who are supposed to do it, who are supposed to do the prosecution. They are not careful in what they are supposed to do, or they are also not able to do it the way they are supposed to do, or because of politics. These institutions continue to have these problems because of the way and manner the appointments are done and the way they are controlled by the government. On paper, you realize in the act, they are somehow independent. But when it comes to practice, they are being controlled. When you take that side away, you realize that prosecution is, is, is an area of the law that can be done by only prosecutors. And I remember before we created those um, especially the Office of the Social Prosecutor. I remember I was then a state attorney. We were citing that they should rather take the Attorney General away, and the Attorney General's office away from prosecution. Prosecution can be done, or corruption can be, corruption cases or corruption related cases can be prosecuted properly by the prosecutors. The way it is being done now, we will always have people chasing allegations without evidence. 
Investigating corruption-related cases is so difficult because you need to go to a lot of documentation to prove it. It is not something that you can say that somebody has stolen money and then it is that's the end. No, you need to build the docket. And that will take a longer time if you do not have the requisite people prosecuting cases. So, so it, it's also down to, from what you're saying, down to the quality of people prosecuting. Yes, I agree with you. Because if, it, if, it police, if the policemen prosecute corruption cases, if you allow them, they can prosecute. Because they have been trained. The cases that the police people prosecute, they will have been trained. It's because of training. So once you train them, they can prosecute. But if the difficulty is the power of the government to influence corruption-related cases. So two things. Quality of the people prosecuting and then the influence of politics. What I'm saying is that police people prosecute cases because they have been trained. And the cases that they prosecute because they do not have political influence, they prosecute them successfully. So if you take the political influence away, you have a much more successful prosecution of corruption cases. Yes, we can. If you take political influence from it, they can be prosecuted. Okay. We have to call speed and speed. We have to amend this constitution and then take the attorney general from this door. Okay. Uh, lawyer Gassingobo, thank you very much. He's a criminal law practitioner and a former prosecutor. worked in the AG's office and uh, sharing his thoughts with us on this uh, very interesting subject that uh, we'll keep a close eye on. Let's continue the conversation. I see many of you still chatting on this on our social media platforms, also on our WhatsApp console. Let's continue the conversation. The details of all the stories you've had here on myjoyonline.com and across our social media platforms on Facebook, YouTube, and more. And guess who is uh, joining us talking about uh, the geek and, and tech world? Hello, Peps. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? I'm great. What's happening tonight? We want to help people optimize their LinkedIn profile. A lot of people have LinkedIn profiles, but some of them are not really using it well. So we want to teach them how they can actually Give optimize it for, you see, for job hunting. And who knows? Oh, this is one I need to listen to because I know colleagues who've got jobs through LinkedIn. It's actually very effective, but yes. you must know how to use it. Definitely, and that's why we're here tonight. Okay. Uh, you want to join Peps and the team on 